G'day friends, welcome back. Joker, not the Joker, Joker. It's a 2019 film directed by Todd Phillips and it stars Joaquin Phoenix, Robert De Niro, Zazie Beetz, Francis Conroy and Brett Cullen. And when this movie came out last year, it was very, very divisive. A lot of people had a lot of thoughts about it. It worried a lot of people for a number of reasons. Um, I think it is probably the best comic book movie, if you can really even call it that, ever made. And I think it has one of the best performances of all time. And I'm going to get all up in this movie. I love this movie to bits. A lot of people don't like it. A lot of people actually hate it, but I... Love it. So, let's get into it. Okey-dokey. Um, obviously, spoilers. Always spoilers. If I happen to forget one day to say spoiler alert, just assume that there is a spoiler alert warning. I never hold anything back when I'm talking about movies. I think if you're interested in listening to a review of a movie, you've probably already seen it. It's kind of what I think. Anyway, so what is Joker about? It's about lots of things. But, like, face value, it is an origin story for the DC comic villain, the Joker. That's what it is. It is set in a 1980s Gotham. Gotham obviously being the fictional city in which Batman lives and, you know, does all of his things. But it is so much more than that. It is about mental illness. It is about how we treat each other. It is about elitism. It is about the influence of celebrity, kind of in the same vein as elitism. It is about how people feel about, you know, the government and police, things like that. It is, it is, it is about so, so many things. And it is so well done and so layered. Every, like, I think I've seen it three or four times now. Every time I watch it, I just appreciate it even more. It's not that I am even noticing new things. I just, my appreciation of it increases. So it's directed by, directed by Todd Phillips who previously directed movies like he did the Hangover Trilogy, he did Road Trip, Due Date. Like, the dude does comedies. And while this movie is about a failing 
stand-up comedian. This is not a comedy in any way, shape, or form. So that's that's what our Joker character is at the beginning of the film. He's a failing stand-up comedian who also does work as a clown. His name's Arthur Fleck, and pretty much what the movie is is him having a terrible, terrible, terrible time and then just spiralling into madness and pretty much just unleashing absolute anarchy on the city of Gotham pretty much unintentionally. Um, I don't even know. Let's talk about the obvious thing first. Joaquin Phoenix's performance. So obviously he won the Academy... uh, He won the Academy Award for this role. I think he was eons ahead of everyone else in the category. This, this, so this performance is amazing for a number of reasons, right? First of all, a lot of the really, really great scenes are done without anyone else. So he's acting by himself. Like some of the really great acting performances you'll ever see are acting with another person. You get lots of really, really great performances out of actors bouncing off one another. He has to do a lot of... There's obviously lots of scenes with other people, don't get me wrong. Excuse me, but there's lots of... A lot of the best stuff is him by himself. like And, and him portraying the way that Arthur Fleck is just spiralling down, down, down into this pit of insanity. Uh, he, he's, he, he does, he, he, he makes Fleck so fragile and so unhinged at the same time. And, and talk like, you know, there's lots of actors who have made a name for themselves by being super method, little two method, if you will. Like you got guys like Christian Bale who will put on a ton of weight or lose a ton of weight, that kind of thing. Or you'll have like a Daniel Day-Lewis who will just become a character, that kind of thing. This is one of those performances where an actor lost a insane amount of weight. Apparently, his motto was, an apple a day keeps the doctor away. Very, very literally, because all he ate in preparation for the role was an apple a day. And this man is skin and bone. You can see his shoulders popping out next to his head. You can see his rib cage. It's pretty intense. And that is what I mean by him looking very fragile. Like there's a lot of scenes where he gets beaten up or a lot of scenes where he's getting bullied. And, you know, Phoenix is very, very good at making you feel sorry for him. And like the first half of the film, really, he's, you know, wish he's shown to be just this really, really nice, innocent guy. Like he lives with his mum, who is mentally ill herself. He takes care of her. You know, he he just really wants to make people laugh. He tries really hard to be a successful comedian, but he just he has a lot of bad luck. He's a little bit strange, so people bully him, and you know, he himself is obviously mentally ill. So sometimes he makes poor decisions and, you know, he, he has a really rough time. You do feel sorry for him 
the way the way that people treat him. But but Phoenix makes it just so so like he, he taps really into the emotional core of this character. But at the same time, you can just tell he pretty much what this movie is is a you know most of us are one bad day away from ending up like this. <laughs> and that is what I mean by the unhinged side. It's like, so, so his character has this condition where if he gets anxious or scared or nervous or whatever, he just starts laughing, which is a really, really cool idea for the Joker character, right? Really cool idea. But the way that Phoenix does it, it's not, it's not a pleasant laugh, which is what a laugh should be. A laugh should make you feel good, right? It should fill up a room with joy. His laugh does not. His laugh literally chokes him. Like he, sometimes he will do it and then he'll like grab at his throat, like it's suffocating him. And it, it like the smile he gets when he laughs is not a happy smile. It's like, it's like a forced grimace it, and it looks like he's in pain. Like sometimes when he's laughing, you cannot tell if he's laughing or if he's crying. It's right on the edge of like sounding like one or the other. It's, it's so, so good. Like take, take away the, the, you know, the fact that it's a technically a comic book movie, take strip away everything else. This performance makes this movie just at, le- at the absolute least one of the best movies of the decade. It is so, so good. It will remain one of the best performances I've ever seen for a very long time, I'd imagine. He, he is a special, special actor, Joaquin Phoenix. By the way, just on how I came about the decision to review this movie this week, I was, I was you know, trying to think of what I was going to review and I was just sort of looking at the DVD collection I've got and I saw the Joker. I was like, oh, I haven't reviewed the Joker yet. I'd really like to do that. And, you know, the last month or so, month and a bit, I've been putting up polls every week on Instagram saying, oh, should I review this or this? So, like, okay, what could I pair the Joker with? I was like, oh, I'll pair it with another Joaquin Phoenix movie. And I had the master there as well. So, like, all right, I'll put the master and the Joker up as a poll which, by the way, the, the Joker app, not the Joker, fuck. <laughs> Joker absolutely smashed Master. People really want me to review this movie. But then I was wondering, like, if anyone was like, oh, what, you know, if, if I, for some reason, was like, oh, I need to give a reason why I chose to do Joaquin Phoenix movies this week. I was like, oh, you know, a good reason to do that would be, oh, it's his birthday this week. And just, I don't even know for what reason. I was like, oh, let me see when his birthday is. His birthday was yesterday. Or technically today in America, but they're a day behind. So his birthday was yesterday, which is the most bananas coincidence I've ever, ever experienced. Maybe not in my life, but in quite a while. That is an amazing coincidence. I just thought I'd share that little story. Um, okay, so let's talk about... Oh, just one thing before I get into sort of the... the what happens in the movie, the score. And that the, the other thing that makes this movie just about a masterpiece is the score. So 
I'm going to butcher her name, but it is done by an Icelandic composer by the name of Hilda Gunnatoritur. Gunnatoritur. I don't know. I'm really sorry. Her name is really, really difficult to pronounce. It's got this character in it, which I don't, which I can't even find how to pronounce it. Anyway, so she won an Academy Award for this score, and so like there, there are lots of really, really legendary movie scores. Like obviously, you know, you think Star Wars, Jaws, Back to the Future. Raiders of the Lost Ark, even other like classic Oscar type movies like Casablanca or The Godfather. Right? Lots of movies have really, really sensational scores. This score in this movie is like its own character. Almost. These these really slow, deep, depressing cello notes. Like, it'll be cellos or it'll be violins. I don't think any other score has to help set the tone of a movie like this does. Like, a lot of people... Excuse me. A lot of people left this movie feeling really, really depressed and upset. And I think, obviously, the story is not... A pleasant one. Oh, gosh, excuse me. Um, Obviously, the story is not a pleasant one, but I think a big part of the reason this movie affected people so intensely was the music. It, oh, I, I, I noticed it the most on this viewing, how important the music is. And I was just listening to it. First of all, the music is beautiful. It is really, really gorgeously composed but you pair it with what's happening on screen and you really start to see why the story is so impactful because it's paired with this just soul-sucking score it's it's so so good that like like how phoenix's performance is now in my opinion at least been skyrocketed into the absolute top tier, I think the same of this score. Like, I couldn't hum this score in my head like I could, you know, a Lord of the Rings tune, but like like his performance, you could watch this movie just for the score. I cannot tell you how good it is. I really can't. Okay, anyway, let's talk a bit about the story. So we meet... Arthur Fleck, he's really struggling to be a comedian. He's this very odd fellow. He's got this laughter condition. But the, but the laughing isn't just from... It doesn't just, you know, pop up when he's anxious or nervous or whatever. He also, like... It's made pretty clear early on that he... May, like, maybe not early on that he's mentally ill, but he's definitely very different to other people. Like... He goes to this stand-up show and he's doing his laugh. By the way, this Joker laugh is up there. Like, it's you cannot compare this performance to Heath Ledger's performance. They're very, very different characters. While it is 
the exact same character, very, very different characters. But this Phoenix's Joker laugh is just so, so good for the character that is inside. Anyway, but he goes to see this comedian perform just to sort of, you know, learn the trade, right? And he is laughing at all the wrong moments, right? The guy is just doing a sort of, he's telling the first part of a story. He's, 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 he's like a minute away from the punchline and he'll just say like, you know, and then this guy was talking to his wife and then Fleck will laugh and like everyone's just listening. And then he just hear <laughs> like down the back. And then that happens over and over again. And you're just like, oh, this poor bloody guy. He's so out of touch. His, his sense of humor is not like it's, it's the exact opposite of every single other person in the room. So, so you start to feel, oh God, what is going to happen when he performs? And obviously when he does end up performing, it doesn't go well. Um, yeah, it's just another way that the, the laugh pops up. So yeah, the first sort of 40 minutes or so of the film is just establishing the sort of guy he is, his situation. We meet, um, the other guys who he sort of works with as these hired clowns. They give him a hard time. You can tell they think very, very little of him, except for except for one of them uh, named Gary, who um, treats him very, very nicely. You know, which is interesting because Gary is a I don't know the I don't know what the correct term is right now. I don't want to say the wrong thing, but he's a little person. I don't know what we're allowed to say, um, what we're allowed to call people like like that at the moment. But he suffers from dwarfism this little guy which is probably why he is so kind like a lot of people who are really mean to Arthur are what you would consider normal so you know maybe privileged so the fact that Gary is you know disadvantaged by his size might be why he's so kind to Arthur he can relate you know what I mean and that actually comes back later because um one of the other clowns and Gary, they go to Arthur's apartment because Arthur's committed some crimes and the police have been asking them about stuff. So they go to talk to him and the, the other comedian, I forget, uh, Randall, I think his name is the other clown. Sorry. He's done some really awful things to Arthur and Arthur murders him when they go to his apartment. And you think he's going to kill Gary as well, but he doesn't because Gary's never done anything bad to him. He's always been very kind, always asks him how he's going. So he just lets him go because he's not, he's not, he's, you know, he's not on this war path. He doesn't just want to kill people for the sake of it. He wants to kill people because, and I quote, because they're awful. That's what he says, right? Except at the end of that scene, there's this amazing moment. So when the two of them come into the apartment, um, Joker locks the latch, he slides the latch across when they're not looking and you know, oh, shit's about to go down. But then he kills Randall and then he goes to let Gary leave and Gary walks up to the door and you're like, oh, fuck, the latch is locked and he's too short to be able to reach up and un unlatch it. And you're like, oh, fuck, he is going to kill him. But then he just has a bit of fun with him and he lets him go anyway. But that's, 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 that, that is one way in how the movie is about how we treat each other just because there might be someone who is 
mentally ill or even just a little bit different doesn't mean you just get to bully them doesn't mean that and like that is that that is actually how Arthur gets on his you know begins his transformation into the Joker the instigating event if you will is he he's he's just been fired because you know it'll take too long to get into the reasons why but he got fired as a clown and he's riding the train home and then there are these three drunk idiots who are harassing this girl Arthur gets a bit nervous, so he starts laughing hysterically because of his condition. So they turn their attention to him. They beat the shit out of him. And then he happens to have a gun and he blows the three of them away. He kills all three of them because they were just horrible, disgusting people. And it turns out they were three, even though they were young, they were, you know, wealthy, important Wall Street guys. So they get on the news because they were killed. And, and this is when it starts to get into, I don't, I don't want to call it a political movie because it isn't. And the Joker character is not political in this movie, but this is where we start to see a sort of parallel to society. So these three, you know, Wall Street guys get murdered. It's all over the news. Everyone gets very upset. All that anyone knows is that they were killed by a clown wearing a mask or something like that, right? And and so the, the sort of context is what's of what's happening in Gotham is that the city is in sort of decay, right? There's heaps of unemployed people, a lot of poverty, like there's a lot of sort of like the city's unclean. There's lots of talk about how many rats there are, that kind of thing. And yeah, the, the government has just made a mess of the city, right? So when, you know, all the news and everything gets, everyone gets really upset about these three rich guys getting murdered, they're like, people are dying in the streets. People don't have jobs. You know, if, if three homeless people got killed, you wouldn't bat an eye. And that, and that is where the movie becomes about sort of the elite and like how, how there is, especially in America, especially in America, the, the enormous gap between the elite and just about everybody else. And so I'll get into this now. The reason this movie scared so many people, everyone thought it was going to incite violence and rioting because the end result of the film is that Arthur goes on this talk show with this host played by Robert De Niro, who he has idolized, right? He's had fantasies throughout the movie about going on the show, but because um, they played a bit of his terrible, not terrible, but his, you know, his disastrous stand-up routine on the show, they invited him on and he goes on the show and he, you know, he starts to rant and he murders Robert De Niro's character on live TV. And this is after he's killed the Wall Street guys and after, you know, some police officers shot a protester who was wearing clown makeup and stuff. There are all these events that build and build and build. And when he kills Robert De Niro's character, everything just goes crazy. Right? Everyone's like, yeah, he represents us. He's sticking it to the man. All these dudes in clown masks 
and wigs. They all go to the streets. They're lighting stuff on fire. There's these really insane riots. And people thought that this movie was going to incite things like that. Like riots sticking it to the man. And it obviously didn't. It obviously didn't. It was never going to. It was a silly thing to worry about. But we saw this year with everything that happened with the COVID crisis and everything that happened with George Floyd, how, how on edge the American people are and how, oh God, I'm so burpy tonight, sorry. And how disenfranchised people are and how angry people are with how they are treated, how minorities are treated. Like it, like, you know, they never could have known what was going to happen when they were making the movie, but it, it is very interesting to see the parallels. Like, obviously, the movie's events are very different to what happened in reality, but I think there was an equal amount of readiness in the fictional people in the movie and people in real life, an equal amount of readiness to really stand up and get angry about what they're angry about, if that makes any sense. If any of that makes any sense, I hope it did. I just thought it was really, really interesting watching it today for the first time since all this craziness has happened this year. It was just really, really interesting to see, I don't know how similar, like the, the, the riots that we had in America early in the year looked very much like the riots in this movie. Entire cities on fire and the police just being completely helpless to stop anything. It was really, really interesting. And I, you know, I thought a lot about it after the movie was over. Um, let's get back into the story. It's, it's so Arthur is very mentally ill. His mother is also very mentally ill. We find out sort of as the movie goes along that, she used to work for Thomas Wayne, which is Batman's dad. And she says to him at one point that she had an affair with Thomas Wayne and that he is Thomas Wayne's son. Therefore, Batman's brother, right? He goes and confronts Thomas Wayne. Thomas Wayne says, this isn't true. Your mother was committed to an asylum. Um, you're actually adopted. You're not even her son. You know, he, he, he goes to, I believe it is Arkham. He goes to Arkham Asylum. He finds her records, you know, you know, you know, there's the question of, is she lying? Is Thomas Wayne lying? We don't know. Um, this is another, this is just another in a long line of events that just, that just ruin his, his entire life and set him down the path that he's on. Um, but, but with the whole mental illness thing, there's, there's a lot of things in the movie that have brought about, you know, fan theories, which we all love fan theories that question whether anything that is happening in the movie is real. So there's the whole thing about all the clocks in the movie having the exact same time, which is a really interesting thing. Um, 
there's you know there's a lot of things that he imagines in the movie that we are then shown to have not happened at all like his relationship with Zazie Beetz's character um who lives down the hall from him in their apartment building he has all there are all these scenes with the two of them going on dates and hanging out together and although you think like they don't really make sense because she like why would she want to hang out with this dude he's very very strange but they're happening anyway, and then it is revealed that none of them actually happened. He imagined her spending time with him, you know, completely. He imagined this long series of events. And there's, other se- there's this other scene at the beginning where he's on the, the, the talk show with Robert De Niro's character. And, you know, there's this other long sequence. That one, you're not really led to believe is real. But, you know, it's just another long sequence which he hallucinated and there is a scene at the very very end after all the events of the movie have taken place where he is talking to a you know a therapist a social worker whatever you want to call her and he's laughing to himself about something and she says oh you know what's funny he says i was just thinking of a joke and you wouldn't get it and I wonder if he has just been imagining all the events of the film. Another one of the results of all the chaos he insights is that um, Thomas Wayne and his wife, so Batman's parents, they get killed by one of the people rioting. And it's an interesting thing to contemplate. I wonder if this Joker is actually a seasoned Joker who has gone toe-to-toe with Batman on a number of occasions. And this is just his fantasy of how Bruce Wayne's parents died. There are, there are an infinite number of possibilities. Has he imagined parts of the film? For instance, after he kills Robert De Niro's character, he's arrested by the police. And before they can get him to the police station... They're crashed into by protesters and he's freed. You know, did any of that happen or was he just taken by the police straight to Arkham Asylum? That kind of thing. There's this other scene right before he goes full Joker where he removes all the insides of a fridge and he gets into it. Right. You know, did he just, you know, maybe fall asleep in that fridge and imagine the rest of the events of the film? We don't know. Another cool thing about that fridge sequence is that is, that is the, the last scene before he, you know, puts on all of the full Joker makeup and goes to go be on the show. And it's kind of, it's like he got into that fridge as Arthur Fleck and it was like a cocoon for him and he came out as his, his other, um, his other self, the Joker. Another really interesting thing to think about. There are so, so many different possibilities for what really happened in this story. And I love that it's just left as ambiguous because it doesn't really matter. Because it's not, a, you know, it's not about what happened to him or whether it's real. It's about thinking about how we treat each other is what the movie's about. Another thing I want to mention is the the now famous staircase. It's 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 not a subtle, you know, film technique, 
what these staircases mean, but they're just very, very cool. They're a real set of stairs in New York City, I believe. They just go up and up and up and up and up forever just between these two buildings. And in the whole, in the first like three quarters of the film, we see Arthur just trudging up them. They, they, they look like they're going forever. There is a very long staircase. And every time we see him walking up them, it's dark. His head is just hanging. He's got his hands in his pockets. And it looks like it is just so difficult for him to climb these steps. Right? But then after he's become the Joker and he's off to be on the Arthur Murray show. Right? He's in his makeup. He's got his nice suit on. By the way, love the costume design for this Joker. Like moving away from the greens and the purples to this really nice reddy orange kind of suit. But he's, you know, he's now he now gets to walk down the stairs. And he, that scene where he's dancing down them and he's kicking the puddles and he's just having a great time. It is a great representation of how he has changed. He's not... Arthur Fleck weighed down by all these problems anymore. He is the Joker who is ready to, you know, he's honestly ready to die or be put in prison because he's just had enough. He doesn't care anymore. He's like, right, they all like society is just terrible. So I'm going to go tell everyone on TV how terrible it really is. Not all the dancing in the movie, not just the dancing down the stairs, the dancing is such an important part of the film. It's always when he's feeling powerful or confident, right? Like when he kills those three Wall Street guys on the subway and he, and he runs out of there. First, I think it's in a public bathroom. He just stands in front of a mirror and he just starts dancing really slowly, sways side to side. He sticks his arms out and sort of you know, starts moving them slowly. It's an amazing scene, but he always dances when he is feeling good. And he felt good after killing those guys. It was a release for him because they were just shit people and now they're gone. And he's like, yeah, that feels good. Same uh, after he, after he's given the gun by one of his uh, clown mates, who's actually trying to, you know, and he puts the gun in him just so he can get in trouble and get fired. Um, he takes the gun home and he's just holding it and then he stands up and he starts dancing with the gun because he feels powerful. He's got a gun, right? The dancing is such an important part of the movie. Um, is there anything else I really want to talk about? There's a couple of, like, it's not a perfect movie by any means, like, but it, it's pretty close. Like, obviously... It, it, I would like it if it didn't have so much Batman, funny enough. Like, I think the scene where he goes to Wayne Manor and actually talks to Bruce Wayne as a child is important. So I don't know if they could have done without it. I don't know. I don't know if we needed, like, another scene of Bruce Wayne's parents getting killed with the pearls going flying everywhere. I don't know if we really needed that but it's in there anyway. Um, you know, there's a couple of little p problems with like, like for something that bothered me the, when he, when he kills those three wall street guys with, with the gun he's got. So apparently the gun is only capable of 
holding five bullets, I believe, and he fires eight shots. So either he's reloaded when we haven't seen, or it is another indication that he is in a, he's imagining all of this in his mind. So yeah, either it's a mistake, or he's actually reloaded and they haven't shown us, or it's deliberate and he's imagined all of it. Two of those options are not too bad. Um, yeah, I haven't got a whole lot else to say. It's a really, really excellent movie. It really is. It's, I don't know, pe people were really, really bothered by it. And I don't think they should, obviously it's upsetting. It's terrible how he is treated by people. And it's terrible to think what society is like these days, especially Western society. But I think it should just be a reminder to think about how we treat each other. You know, you can, you can walk down the street and, you know, just nod at people and say, g'day, give them a smile. That's all you got to do. You know, don't snicker at people. Don't bully each other and don't bully people. Don't harass people in public. You don't know what kind of day they've just had. You are very well at risk of being blown away yourself like those three Wall Street guys. Um, yeah, I think, I think that'll do. It's a very, very special movie. I enjoy it thoroughly. If you haven't seen it, I don't know what you're doing listening to this, but if you haven't seen it, go and watch it. Um, yeah. All right. Thanks for listening, everyone. And I'll, uh, I'll catch you all over the weekend with my Mandalorian review. Very exciting. All right. Bye.